You're listening to Sermons at FCC Moorhead, a podcast of sermons preached at First Christian Church in Moorhead, Kentucky. A congregation in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ tradition, we are a faith community seeking to live out Christ's call of hospitality and shalom. I'm Reverend Nancy Galler, minister at FCC, and each week we'll post the latest sermon preached from our pulpit. Most weeks you'll hear my voice, but from time to time you'll find guest preachers on this podcast too. Thanks for listening. Today is, if you're counting, the 10th day of Christmas, and somewhere there are 10 lords a-leaping, I'm sure. We are nearing the end of the Christmas season with the Feast of Epiphany on Wednesday, January 6th. Now, Epiphany is a Christian holiday that's almost completely overlooked in our culture, but it wasn't always so for Christians. In 412, Augustine, in an Epiphany sermon, wrote, quote, The whole church of the Gentiles has adopted this day as a feast worthy of most devout celebration. Other cultures around the world celebrate Epiphany with many more festivities. There's the traditional king's cake, in which a baby figurine or a bean is baked into a delicious almond cake, and then the finder of the hidden item is king for a day or the host of next year's Epiphany celebration. You Mardi Gras fans may notice a similar tradition occurs on Fat Tuesday before Ash Wednesday at the end of the Epiphany season. There's another tradition I love of leaving shoes by the front door along with water for the camels of the wise men. And with any luck, the grateful magi will leave candies and treats stuffed in the shoes for the children of the house. This is also the traditional time for the chalking of the door, a lovely action which blesses both one's home and also reminds us of the Christian call for hospitality in our world. And if you take a look at January's newsletter, you'll find a sample liturgy for you to use at home for this. And yet for most of us, by this time, we are weary of Christmas especially this Christmas. It's so very strange from our familiar celebrations. My neighbor took down their Christmas lights on Friday. Many are already back at work. Others are struggling with how to do school. Some of us have New Year's resolutions yet to break and diets to fail at. But on this Sunday, between that final stretch of Christmas and the unfamiliar territory of Epiphany with 2020 barely behind us and 2021 less inviting than we would have hoped. We might be excused if we thought we had little time to talk of stars and no one is planning any long journeys anytime soon. W.H. Auden, in his epic poem, For the Time Being, a Christmas Oratorio, gives voice to the wise men who speak of their journey in a weary words, saying, the weather has been awful. The countryside is dreary, marsh, jungle, rock, and echoes mock, calling our hope unlawful. 
They go on to say a little later on, at least we know for certain that we are three old sinners, that this journey is much too long, that we want our dinners and miss our wives, our books, our dogs, but have only the vaguest idea why we are what we are. Just to discover how to be human now is the reason we follow this star. It is the difficulty of their journey we may most identify with this year of all years. Forget the exotic caricatures of faraway kings slowly plodding camels. This year, we imagine the overwhelming challenge of the journey. The days that stretch into weeks, the weeks that turn into months, we know that feeling, don't we? If we allow ourselves a moment to stand alongside these shadowy, weary figures, we may catch a glimpse of ourselves in their stories and in their legends. My favorite has always been from the pen of T.S. Eliot, who best captures, I think, that underlying melancholy in their pilgrimage. He writes, a cold coming we had of it. Just the worst time of the year for a journey and such a long journey. The ways deep and the weather sharp, the very dead of winter. We can feel the ache in those words, an aching of the body, but also of the spirit. There's often a melancholy in the poet's depiction of the Magi. A longing propels them, but the journey is so tiring and the maps are deceiving. They come on what basis? From research, from rumors, from prayers, or a hunch? They have this vague sense of where they're going, perhaps even less of an idea of whom they're looking for, yet still they go with no guarantees of their journey, no promise of their desired destination, no GPS to tell them of slowdowns on their selected routes or to offer detours. Theirs is not a journey most of us would volunteer for. In Italy, there's a legend which tells of a time when the Magi were lost and they were seeking directions. They happened upon the house of a woman known as La Bafana, and she was well known in her village for being a very conscientious housekeeper. Her home was immaculate as she swept it carefully every day. The wise men told her of their journey. They were following a star in the east and its promise of a baby who would be king. And they showed her their fine gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And La Bufana listened kindly. She couldn't help them with directions, but she offered them some sweet bread that she had just taken from the oven. And the Magi invited La Bufana to come along with them on their quest. She thanked them, but said no. You see, she was not done with her housekeeping. She had much sweeping left to do. And so the Magi left her, thanking her for her hospitality. And then after they had left, she just couldn't stop thinking of the Magi and their journey and their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And she went back to sweeping. And as she swept, she thought, what a child really needs is a warm, soft blanket. And then she went over to her chest in the corner and she took out the most beautiful blanket she had knitted herself. 
This, she thought, would be a fine gift for the child. And then she put it in a sack that she found hanging in a hook on her room. Perhaps a small toy would be nice, too. And she reached down deep in the chest, and she'd found a soft doll that she'd sewn. Well, what if there are more children, she wondered. And so she carefully began to place more toys into her large sack. And then by the time she had finished packing, it was dark. She set out hoping to catch up with the Magi, but she never did. But whenever she found a place to spend the night, any children in the house were delighted to find gifts. And even now to this day, Labafana still travels, still trying to catch up with the Magi and find the Christ child. And so on January 5th, children will hang stockings for La Bafana and leave plates of sausages and cured meats along with a glass of wine for her. I think La Bafana has a little bit better taste than Santa Claus. Children who have been good will find toys and treats in their stockings and those who will not will find lumps of coal. The journey of the Magi is one of struggle and uncertainty and that legend of La Bafana just adds to the sadness because in her hesitation, she missed out on the trip of a lifetime. Through the years, I have often made sketches in a journal, and I am not a trained artist. I dabble. And here and there, you'll find doodles and drawings in the midst of my written journals. And then in 2014, I decided to take an art journal dedicated for sketches. And through those three months of sabbatical, I filled that journal with sketches and notes and reflections and poetry. Now, I find sketching in public intimidating because I'm pretty sure everyone is looking at me and I'm confident that my sketch is awful and I'm never good at sketching people and all of those thoughts go in my head. So it was an intentional act for me to keep sketching in public. And you know, even when you think no one's looking, they're looking. I was on a train heading into Chicago and the attendant was walking down the aisle taking tickets. And then he stops and he looks at my journal and then he points to the passenger that I was attempting to sketch. And he gives me a smile and he shook his head and what I can only hope was approval. For a few years when I lived in Washington, I would join in outings with groups of other urban sketchers in Tacoma. And it makes it so much easier when there are other people drawing too, because there's courage in groups. One might not have such courage if you were alone. But perhaps the most daunting feeling of sketching it's not the sketching outdoors or even in front of others. The biggest barrier may very well be a blank journal with its completely empty white pages. And the better quality the paper and the journal, the more difficult it is for that first stroke of the pen or watercolor. Sometimes I skip the first second or third page, just to relieve a little bit of that pressure of not messing up this perfectly beautiful journal with all of its limitless possibilities until I make that first mark. 
Recently, I stumbled across the poetry of Wisława Zimborska, who was the 1996 Nobel Poet Laureate. The Nobel Committee called her the Mozart of poetry, saying her poetry also emanates with something of the fury of Beethoven. Here's some snippets of one of her poems called Life While You Wait. Life while you wait, performance without rehearsal, body without alterations, head without premeditation. I know nothing of the role I play. I only know it's mine. I can't exchange it. And I have to guess on the spot just what this play's all about. Ill-prepared for the privilege of living, I can barely keep up with the pace that the action demands. I improvise. Although I loathe improvisation, I trip at every step over my own ignorance. If only I could just rehearse one Wednesday in advance or repeat a single Thursday, that has passed. But here comes Friday with a script I haven't seen. Is it fair, I asked, my voice a little hoarse since I couldn't even clear my throat off stage. And whatever I do will become forever what I've done. I wonder, I wonder if those magi, whom I always picture as older, much, much older than I, ever had that moment of hesitation of staring at the first page of a blank book, fearing to make a stray mark before they headed out the door, following God knows what into the great unknown, trusting somehow that they would find the way, that they would meet kind people wherever they stopped, that the journey was worth, worth the risk. Like me, did they hesitate before crossing the threshold? Or did they step out with purpose, boldly, without reservation? Or in the end, does it matter? If one begins the journey in doubt, or if one walks forward in confidence, naive though they may be, either way, the journey begins with a step, be it made in hesitation or in boldness. Matthew offers us a portrait of the travelers wise enough to know their limitations. The star leads them, and when they cannot find the way themselves, they seek assistance from others, knowledge from different traditions than their own. And not only are they wise enough to know their limitations, they're flexible enough to change their plans. When the brutal realities of Herod's political scheming become apparent to them, the Magi left for their own country by another road. You see, when we're following God, that may mean changing direction or taking another path from the one we had planned on. There are times when guidance of God's star may take us in strange directions, push us out of our comfort zones, and challenge us to step out timidly or in faith. Have you seen your star? Tis the season for New Year's resolutions, and the journey of the Magi seems a fitting story at this time. And maybe you make bold resolutions, all or nothing. Maybe you jump in with both feet 
Or maybe you've given up on resolutions because you've broken too many in the past years. Or could it be that you're paralyzed by the first blank page of the new year? What to do? How to start? Fearing that that first choice you make limits the rest of your choices. Jan Richardson, in a poem reflecting on the journey of the Magi, writes, If you could see the journey whole, you might never undertake it. You might never dare the first step that propels you from the place you have known toward the place you know not. Or perhaps, like me, your Pinterest haunted with images and myths of the perfect life, the perfect you, all of it impossible, mind you, yet somehow still demanding, which leaves you unable to change much of anything at all. And like La Bafana, you just hold back from the future until you get your house in order with everything perfectly in place. Perhaps the Magi story holds an opening for us this year. What if in the midst of the weariness, smack dab in the middle of this topsy-turvy time we've been dealt, there is a star shimmering for us too. A star beckoning us across the threshold of the new year, not promising perfection or a pain-free future, but an adventure just for us. A journey awaiting our first step, a blank page, breathless in anticipation for that first line of ink to be marked down. How might we begin? The poet Annie Weems writes, Into this silent night as we make our weary way, we know not where. Just when the night becomes its darkest and we cannot see our path, just then is when the angels rush in, their hands full of stars. There's a growing tradition in many churches of offering star words to worshipers on Epiphany Sunday, words that might be a point of reflection that will guide our prayer practices in the first weeks of the year and beyond. And there's nothing magical in these words, but perhaps for us they might be food for thought. Words of encouragement, of motivation, of wonderment. Just as the Magi followed stars, perhaps we might find something to lead us as well. Now, in a different time, the words would be here in the sanctuary, printed on star shapes, and you would take one and then you would leave the others behind. But this year, we will do it differently. All of our star words have been numbered from 1 to 150, and we invite you to choose a number. And then message us here on Facebook or email the church office, and we will share with you the corresponding word. And if we have your physical address later this week, we can mail out for you a star with your word printed on it. Whatever word you receive, I invite you to trust that that word is for you. I invite you to pray with the word, to listen to it, react to it, paint, write, pin it to your mirror, put it on your fridge. If you like, you can sign up for weekly emails with reflection questions that can help you in this prayer practice. 
So for the seven weeks of the Epiphany season, we will all hold our words gently in our minds, listening for the nudging of the Spirit, seeking starlight to guide us. And as Annie Weems put it, we'll trust that when we most need it, that the angels will rush in their hands full of stars. Thanks for listening. We hope you found inspiration today. To learn more about our congregation, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, be well, be kind, and always be the church where you are.